Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Go ahead and check out the website, TravelingCulturati.com, and make sure you join the Travel Club so that you can be the first to know when we are on the go. And, you know, we've been going to some fantastic places. This year alone, we have gone to Ghana, we've gone to South Africa, just returned from our Travel Sponsors 25th anniversary trip to Croatia. We've been to Paris. And we're about to go to Greece in just a couple of weeks. And if you want to snag a spot, we have just a few land-only packages available. We're going back to South Africa in September as well. And we still have a few spots available there. Going to Belize in November, November 10th through the 16th for a little pause and play. We work hard, we should play hard, and Belize is a fabulous destination, a combination of jungle and beach. Yes, a little bit of both, but also to really reflect, to pause a little bit, to take care of ourselves. It's definitely going to be a self-care kind of journey, and you can find about all of it on the website, TravelingCulturati.com. Well, today I have a fantastic guest joining me the owner of Juneteenth and Beyond, Dr. Araminta Coleman Sorrell. Dr. Sorrell is a Galveston City Certified Tourism Ambassador, and she offers cultural heritage guided tours of Galveston, Texas. Now, while Juneteenth is recognized and celebrated in June, it's an important part of American history that needs to be told 365 along with the history and cultural heritage of Galveston. So you want to make sure that you stay tuned for that. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report. But as always, I've got some travel news to share with you. You know, it's really about this summer and changes in the travel industry and how the weather is wreaking havoc on some things. So just some things you really want to know about. First of all, coming up very soon in Greece, and yes, we have a trip going to Greece in September, so ours will be impacted by this as well. But according to Lena Mendoni, the cultural minister, daily visitors to the Athens Monument will be limited to 20,000 visitors per day. We're talking about the Acropolis. Now, while entry will be organized into time zones, it'll start from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. The initiative is a part of a pilot program, which is expected to be fully implemented on a permanent basis starting April 1st, 2024. But they will start the pilot next month. Yes, so we may be impacted by it as well. But we have a reservation in, so nothing to worry about there. But again, by April 2024, you may see these permanent changes across all archaeological sites that use electronic tickets. Now, the Acropolis is a world symbol. Therefore, anyone who comes to Athens definitely wants to see it. It's on the must-do, must-see list. She also added that despite tourism being beneficial for the country's economy, it is crucial to see how over-tourism will not damage the monument. The national plan to implement an 
entry system that limits the time daily visitors can enter the monument is due to receiving 22,000 to 23,000 visitors that were recorded at the Acropolis in one day alone. So really just shaving off like two or 3,000 because it'll be limited to 20,000 visitors per day. So in general, nearly half of visitors visit the site between morning and noon, especially groups. Yes, we like to get a head start. The new plan foresees that visitors' numbers will be limited by the hour, with some visitors being permitted to enter from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. But regardless, visits during some hours will be more crowded than others. That's why we groups like to get there early before the crowds come in around noonish, and it's just too packed to really enjoy it. Organized groups usually visit the site around 45 minutes, and individuals tend to linger longer for about an hour and a half. However, at this time, visitors will not be limited on how much time they can spend at the site, but only upon entering. Acropolis, which was built during the fifth century, is the most visited historical monument in Greece. And the authorities have worked to make it more accessible as well, especially for disabled tourists. Amid their bids to make it easier for this category of visitors to access the monument, an elevator has been installed. So, you know, I want to share some experiences that I've had with my summer travels. And I will say that my experience has been delays. Fortunately, I haven't experienced any cancellations, but a lot of people have. And that's been pretty much the experience for summer travel in 2023. Now we were thinking that it could be the summer of chaos like last year was. Fortunately, it is not. I think the airlines have really learned from some of those past mistakes and made some adjustments along the way. However, we're still being forced or experiencing delays and cancellations, especially when it comes to the airlines. Our flight to Croatia was delayed two hours out of Chicago. Part of that was a weather delay. Part of that was mechanical. Fortunately, when we got to Frankfurt, which is where our flight was connecting to go to Split, that flight was also delayed by a couple of hours. So we made the flight because if that flight had not been delayed, one of two things could have happened or we could have either missed the flight altogether or we could have made the flight, but our luggage didn't, one or the other. So it's very, very important to know this going in. And the rest of the summer is still at record pace. So if you have travels coming up, hopefully you've given yourself a lot of time, especially on connecting flights. I had two experiences flying through Newark, coming back into the United States and then connecting on to Chicago. And one was quite hectic. And I really wasn't sure I was going to make the flight. I had maybe 10 minutes before they closed the gate. (laughs) I made it just in time. I arrived at the gate. I was breathing heavy. I was sweating profusely. Even the gate agent commented, were you jogging? (laughs) I had to laugh at it as well. But just to kind of give you an idea of what I was dealing with flying in to one terminal, having to go to another terminal and waiting for my luggage, number one, 
going through immigration because that was my first port of entry into the United States, rechecking my bag, and then heading off to the next terminal for my flight. Now, going to that next terminal, you have to clear TSA security. And then, of course, you have to get to your gate. So if I did not have global entry, I would have been stuck in a line at immigration. If I did not have clear and pre-check, now let me tell you the difference between having one or the other or both. Clear, definitely, it kind of takes you to the front of the line. So if you have clear but not pre-check, then clear gets you verified and then the clear agent takes you to the front of the security line and then you know of course you go on through if you have tsa pre-check the same thing happens and the beauty of having tsa pre-check is that i don't have to take my shoes off don't have to take things out of my bag you're pre-vetted and all of those things so you get through the lane a bit faster so having them both is very instrumental but i do have to tell you with newark i forget which terminal i flew into but i flew out of terminal a so i had to get to from wherever i was which i think was c to terminal a so i had to catch the air tran or air train to get there however i thought i was going to terminal a but i was going in the direction of terminal a because the air tran doesn't take you directly to the terminal. It takes you in some midway point, and then you have to take a shuttle or walk the rest of the way. Now, it's not very close where they let you off. So when I looked over after I got off the air train and saw that I was nowhere near Terminal A, I looked at the shuttle that was there, but there was a line of people to board the shuttle, and they had luggage, and so I figured if... I wait for the shuttle to get in the back of the line. I may or may not make that shuttle because it may fill up before I get to my turn. And by the time they load the luggage and pull off, I could have walked to Terminal A, which I did. And it was about a 10 to 15 minute walk, depending on how fast or slow you walk. And I was hustling. And so I get there, I get checked in my boarding pass for my flight and I head on over to clear pre-check. That part was easy breezy. But then my gate is another five to 10 minutes away from security. So yeah, you really need all of those things. And the airport was quite congested. This last time I arrived and departed from the same terminal, but I received a message from United Airlines that it could take up to 70 minutes for the whole process to get from collecting your luggage over to the gate because of lines at immigration, lines at security, and then the distance of getting to your gate. So I already had my boarding pass and my bags were checked all the way through. So I just had to drop them off to the bag recheck area. But again, to the rescue, global entry and clear pre-check got me through. And I arrived at the gate about 20 minutes before my flight was boarding. Moral to the story, If you're connecting, you definitely want to give yourself at least three hours because with delays and cancellations and things that are completely out of your control, you're going to need that time to get from point A to point B. And if you can get one, two, or three of the following subscriptions, Global Entry, Clear, and PreCheck will help you get through because without them, I would not have made either of those flights. Now, I want to talk about 
today. Some of the things that are happening this summer, again, not the summer of chaos, but you know, we are dealing with weather. And that's another whole story. I'm going to do a show and invite some guests to talk about weather and how it's impacting us today, especially as we're visiting destinations around the world and how it's going to affect us in our travel navigation. But talking about flight delays, cancellations, and so forth, because in just one day this past week, 1,300 flights were canceled in the United States and another 5,700 plus were delayed. So it's cause for concern, isn't it? But you know, the delays, while more than likely blamed on weather, are not just because of weather, the delays and cancellations. In large, weather is a contributing factor. But the other factor related to flight delays and cancellations that are plaguing travelers are because of staff shortages. I came across an article, CBS News Investigation, found that it's likely to be an issue for as long as a decade. Yes, buckle up, folks. We could be dealing with this for up to 10 years because it takes time to restaff or fill that staffing shortage. That's not something that's going to happen overnight because we're talking about professions that require education and training. And on average, for example, A pilot, and we've been talking about pilots a lot, we have a shortage of roughly 32,000 commercial pilots, mechanics, and air traffic controllers. Three very crucial components of flights and of the travel industry. That's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back, I'm chatting with Juneteenth and Beyond owner, Dr. Araminta Sorrell. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Are you planning to travel? Looking for connections with airlines, resorts, hotels, cruise ships, new fashions, or places for family reunions and getaways? Join us October 7th and 8th, 2023 for the Port of Go International Destination and Travel Expo. It's taking place at the Renaissance Convention Center in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. The Port of Go is your all-things travel expo designed for everyone to discover where to go and the best deals. To learn more, visit portofgo.com. That's P-O-R-T of go.com. Welcome back to the Traveling Cold I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Head on over to the website, travelingculturati.com. Join the travel club. And you know, I really want you to follow me on social media. We have some wonderful discussions and posts and destinations. And I want you to share what you're doing as well. You can post on Traveling Culturati's social media pages as well. Show us what you're up to, where you're traveling to, how you travel, your experiences, all of those things. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. If you've traveled since the pandemic, you may have experienced travel stress or at least a more stressful travel experience than before the pandemic. COVID tests, vaccinations, staff shortages, closures, changes, and a lot more. Well, now that travel is back to, and in some cases has exceeded pre-pandemic numbers, travelers have been faced with additional travel stress added to the normal stressors like travel delays, flight cancellations, and a whole lot more. During this time, I'd like for everyone to consider the travel 
professional. If they are assisting and planning travel for multiple people and organizations during what is unprecedented stress in the industry and help travelers navigate those stressors, imagine the level of stress and pressure travel professionals are under. Speaking from firsthand experience, dealing with those same flight delays, cancellations, staff shortages, ever-changing landscapes, and services, it's stressful. Consider handling and managing multiple itineraries for multiple clients with multiple components to an itinerary like air travel, ground transportation, tours, attractions, hotel accommodations, cruises, restaurants, and trains, all while providing customer service. Now, this is not a complaint, but rather a plea for consideration and understanding. We love what we do and want to ensure a wonderful vacation for our clients. And to the travel professional, in solidarity, I say, take care of yourself. We work many hours over multiple time zones. Take necessary breaks, get exercise, manage your hours, and give some of that same attention to yourself your health and well-being that you give to your clients. Make sure you have help and a team of people and or resources when things get tough. Don't be too proud or afraid to ask for help. Just breathe and know you're doing all that you can and you're only human and you are appreciated. This is Javon and that was your Travel Minute. Chatting with me today is Dr. Araminta Coleman Sorrell, founder of Juneteenth and Beyond, a Black-owned and operated guided sightseeing and tourism business. Hello, Dr. Sorrell, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hi, and I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. Well, let's start with what is Juneteenth? Juneteenth is a wonderful celebration of the emancipation of African-Americans in the state of Texas originally. So this occurred on June 19th in 1865, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect and several months after the end of the Civil War. Lee surrendered to Grant at Appomattox, Virginia in April of 1865, and the war was officially over. However, enslaved people in Texas remained in slavery until the Union soldiers arrived in Texas at Galveston Island and emancipated them on June 19th. They came to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation, not to inform. It was already well known that this had occurred in other parts of the country, that slavery had ended, and it was gradually ending during the Civil War. But Texas being as far away from the front lines of the battle as one could get and still be considered in America, they saw very little fighting here. So they had no reason to emancipate enslaved people. And so it wasn't until the soldiers came when they were forced to do so that that actually occurred. And it was met with great jubilation by the enslaved African-Americans who were here. There were only about 1,200 who were actually here on Galveston Island because Galveston was a port city. It was a center of commerce. So there weren't many plantations or farms here on Galveston Island. There weren't any. So most of the people who worked here who were enslaved were servants. They worked in homes or businesses. However, Galveston was a very, it had quite a slave 
market or slave auction houses were here because of the commerce and our deep harbor ports. So ships would come in bringing enslaved people who would be auctioned on the strand, a short walk from the harbor. We're going to get into that a little bit later. I did want to ask a question because I think it's often understood that the enslaved there were unaware of the amendment and the emancipation or the proclamation and that the soldiers came to inform them. But you just clearly said it wasn't based on information. It wasn't to inform, but to enforce. It was well known that the Emancipation Proclamation had gone into effect. Lincoln actually started freeing people way before the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect. He freed the African-Americans in my hometown and yours of Washington, D.C. in September of 1862. There were 3,100 of them, and we won't go into the conditions, but it was called the D.C. Compensation Act that freed the people who were enslaved in D.C. So it's September 1862. Lincoln lets everybody know, hey, I'm going to emancipate the enslaved people in the South if the South doesn't come back into the Union. It was like a threat. Like you tell your children, you know, if you don't clean your rooms, you're not going to be able to watch or play your favorite video games or you're not going to be able to watch TV. It was a threat. So he wanted the South to come back into the fold of the Union. That's what he really wanted. But of course, the Southerners felt that, well, Lincoln's not our president. We don't have to do anything he says. So it was only with force that people were liberated. Therefore, when the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect January 1st of 1863, January 1st, New Year's Day, there had been several months of publications reporting the impending Emancipation Proclamation. It was not a secret, not in the South, not in the North. Nowhere was it a secret. There were, there were lots of articles in Texas, in the newspapers, talking about the Emancipation Proclamation. And this whole thing with emancipation and slavery, it was on the lips of everyone all the time. Just like here, when we have popular topics, abortion or voting these kind of things, you turn on the TV and they're talking about it and talking about it. That's how it was with emancipation and the Emancipation Proclamation at that time. So the other reason why it wasn't a secret was because, as I said before, you know, Texas didn't see a lot of fighting here. And they were able to pretty much maintain life as they knew it before the war. They were still engaging in commerce, growing products, cotton, shipping it south to the border where Europeans were there who would sell for them. So things were a lot like they had been before the war. So the people in Texas had invited other Anglos, other Southerners to come to Texas, wait out the war. You don't have to get rid of your property, you know, as they thought of as enslaved people. You don't have to, the Anglos thought of it as their investments. So the, the Southerners who were here in Texas were saying to them, you don't have to do that. You can just come here and wait out the war. So Texas saw a lot of refugees from war-torn areas in the South where the Union soldiers were emancipating people. So a lot of those slaveholders came to Texas in order to wait out the war and maintain what they considered their investments. So these people came with the knowledge that the Union soldiers are freeing people, African-Americans are fleeing to the Union lines where we can't touch them, we can't go and get them, they're not giving them back, they're holding on to these enslaved people. So 
all of this information was popular knowledge of what was happening and what Texas could expect. However, Javon, the Anglos in Texas, the slaveholders in Texas, some of them doubted that slavery would ever end. They felt that slavery was going to outlast the war and that it would be in some form or fashion after the war ended. They just could not imagine a southern part of the United States where cotton was king, how that could function without slavery. So they never thought that it was going to end and they never thought that they were going to have to release people. So what does Juneteenth actually celebrate? Because then there becomes this confusion of dates. Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Why June 19th of all dates? Because the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect New Year's Day, 1863. The 13th Amendment, which actually ended slavery, that's what formally ended slavery in this country. It was the 13th Amendment, and that didn't get ratified until December of 1865. So that's after Juneteenth. But it had passed through both houses of Congress before Lincoln died. So he did get a chance to see that the 13th Amendment was working its way through the legal system and was going to be ratified. He saw that before he died. He died one week after Lee surrendered to Grant. So why June 19th? Why is that the date? That's the date that Black people decided they were going to celebrate emancipation in the state of Texas. And because they were so committed to it and had such a passion about it, made it a personal holiday long before it became a state holiday in 1979 and then a federal holiday in 2021, they began to export it from Texas to other parts of the country. So especially during the Great Migration in the early part of the 1900s and into the 1920s, you know, we had the Harlem Renaissance and so many people from Texas migrated to other parts of the country and they took the Juneteenth celebrations with them. And so it became more of a national holiday. And then every year it's just been growing and growing. So We celebrate June 19th as Emancipation Day or the day that slavery ended in this country because that's the date that the enslaved people chose. I see. And how is it celebrated? I I I have to say that I'm excited that it is being celebrated more across the nation. But how did those celebrations start? How did they celebrate then and how are we celebrating now? They started right away. The first celebration occurred in 1866. They actually did celebrate New Year's Day, emancipation. They thought of that as Emancipation Day because that was the actual day that Emancipation Proclamation went into effect. But then they also celebrated June 19th. And I guess because it's summer and much more fun and the food is better and there's watermelon and there's fresh fruit and everybody's outside having a good time, it just caught on. So picnics, parades, plays, parties, great food, a Texas barbecue, and the color red is prominent in the foods for Juneteenth. There's big red soda, there's red velvet cake, there's barbecue, there's watermelon, lots of treats with red in them. And then it became like family reunions where whole communities would come together, uh, church celebrations, you know, the entire congregations would celebrate. So, you know, it just became such a treat for everyone to look forward to in a time to come together. So it just has become not just popular in our country, but Juneteenth is fast becoming a symbol of hope and freedom from oppression 
all over the world. I see. I just wanted to do a quick Google. I get intrigued when you said the color red, and it says that the color red can represent power, sacrifice, and transformation in both cultures of the Yoruba and Congo people that were brought to Texas in the 19th century. Symbolism is very important. And did you know that there is a Juneteenth flag? I did not. Yes, there is an official Juneteenth flag. It was created by someone who's referred to as Boston Ben, but he's a Juneteenth activist. His name is Ben Haith, and he started producing the flag in 1997. So the flag is actually red, white, and blue, which is often a surprise to people. Why isn't the flag the colors of African liberation, which would be black, red, and green? So the reason is because it looks like it has the red, white, and blue colors of the American flag because that's what the ancestors wanted when they were liberated from slavery. They wanted to be Americans. We are Americans. And they were celebrating the fact that they were going to be true Americans. They still didn't have citizenship after slavery ended with the 13th Amendment officially. It wasn't until the 14th Amendment that you see things like birthright citizenship and that African-Americans were able to be considered citizens. And then the 15th Amendment gave Black men the right to vote. So the 13th Amendment ended slavery in this country. The 14th Amendment granted African-American citizenship and defined citizenship and equal protection under the law. And the 15th Amendment gave all men the right to vote. So these amendments are considered the Civil War amendments or the Reconstruction amendments, but they were designed actually for the protection and the freedom and justice and rights for African-Americans after the Civil War. Well, thank you so much for that information. Let's talk about Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday or has become a federal holiday now, because I get some mixed emotions when I talk to friends and relatives about it, how it became a federal holiday. And then tell me how you feel about that. Yeah, so folks have been working on making Juneteenth a holiday since forever, right? Since forever. So it became a state holiday in 1979 through the efforts of a Houston legislator, Albert Edwards, Al Edwards. He was elected to House of Representatives 13 times. He was a career politician. But one of the things that he is famous for is getting the legislature passed that made Juneteenth a state holiday in 1979. And so since then, folks have been trying to figure out how they can make Juneteenth a federal holiday because the passion has always been there. And Galveston, the Houston area, Texas, African-Americans in Texas, they've always felt that this should truly be a national holiday, that the end of slavery, a transformation in this country, one that African-Americans and other Americans have worked tirelessly on, that it needed to be a big deal, that it needed to be a holiday. So folks have been working on it for quite some time. So one of the things, especially here in Galveston, There are some amazing African-Americans here in Galveston. They do phenomenal things. They've maintained that spirit of opportunity and promise and hope for the future. You know, they're always trying to get our story told and make the story of American history more holistic so that it includes the stories of African-Americans, especially in Galveston. So by 2020, there's been so much activity to try to get the Juneteenth date, June 19th, made into a federal holiday. So many people have worked on it. Folks here in Galveston worked very hard on it. Sheila Jackson Lee, representative 
also a career politician, a wonderful woman. She worked very hard on it. Opal Lee, who is often called the grandmother of Juneteenth, she resides in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. She took up the cause for, for Juneteenth to be made a federal holiday in her 80s, and now she's in her 90s. And she's still championing Juneteenth to get museums made, especially one in her area. So we have all of this activity, all of these people trying to get the legislation passed to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. And then we see on TV the horrible murder of George Floyd and the protests that occurred afterwards. So many protests, so many people passionate, you know, about how horrible African-Americans are being treated in this way. And so some other people, some Anglos, some people in power, they're watching this and they're beginning to understand, oh, maybe the African-Americans are right. Maybe they have been mistreated. You know, maybe there's something we can do. Maybe we can do a little something to compensate for some of the losses that they have incurred. And so you see a lot of things happening around the country as a backlash to what happened to George Floyd. And the passing of Juneteenth as a federal holiday was one of those things. And the actual legislature, you know, it had been floating around for a while, but during the spring and into the summer of 2021, it passed both houses unanimously unanimously. You know, they say, you know, we can't get anything done in Washington. There's lots of gridlock. There was no gridlock. I don't know how they managed to wheel and deal behind the scenes to speed this thing through. But, you know, we were watching the results in the newspaper and bam, it passed one House of Congress. Bam, it passed the second one. Bam, it's on the desk of Joe Biden. Hey, it's signed and it's in effect in time for the celebration on June 19th, 2021. It just happened like that. I think also with just so much that was happening politically in the country and the amount of time that we all had because of the pandemic, that energies and efforts were kind of focused, I think, at that time. And so it all came together. And it all came together, as you said, very quickly when efforts had been made for so many years leading up to it. So is Juneteenth the same as Emancipation Day? At one point, it was called Freedom Day, Emancipation Day. So is Juneteenth the same as Emancipation Day? Yes, it is. When you think about it in a national sense, that's what people are referring to. However, because, you know, as I mentioned before, slavery ended gradually and after the Civil War started in different states. It didn't happen everywhere all at once. So some people may celebrate at that time, they may have celebrated it when their state freed people. The Emancipation Proclamation only freed African-Americans in states that were in rebellion against the Union, right? So there were some states, border states, that they had enslaved people, but they didn't fight with the South. They stayed in the Union, Maryland, Delaware, West Virginia, Missouri, and Kentucky. These people, they were not freed by the Emancipation Proclamation, but their states came up with different times when they made it happen. And certainly the 13th Amendment made everything happen, made slavery in for everyone everywhere. So there could be different dates in the states where people celebrate emancipation, but certainly Juneteenth is the official version of slavery ending. And is it specifically tied to Galveston? 
Yes, Galveston was where it all happened. Galveston is an island. You know, it's, it's about 23 miles long, maybe five miles wide. It's not that big, but it was extremely important because of its deep water harbors. And so at that time, we didn't have planes or trucks, so ships were very important. And so the places that had deep water harbors were centers of commerce, lots of activity taking place all the time. People from many countries coming and speaking many different languages. They were exciting, bustling places, lots of ways for one to thrive. And so this was where it happened. This is where slavery in Texas ended and the story began. It all began here in Galveston. And this is the official site. So if you want to understand the Juneteenth story, if you want to walk in the areas where the Union soldiers came from the harbors and walked to the Strand, the little downtown area where they proclaimed using General Order Number 3 that slavery had ended and that the enslaved people were entitled to absolute equality. This is the General Order Number 3 that ended slavery in Texas. This is a quote from that order. If you want to go to these places where it all happened, and hear the stories of how the people reacted and what they looked like and felt, this is the place to come. This is where it happened. I see. Now, your company is Juneteenth and Beyond. So tell us about the Beyond. Yes. So my company, Juneteenth and Beyond, is focused on the Juneteenth story, but you really need to know what happened before June 19th, 1865, so you can understand why it took two and a half years for African-Americans here in Texas to be liberated from slavery. You know, you need to know what happened before. Certainly, people always want to know, well, what happened to the people after they were liberated? What did they do? Where did they go? How was life for them? So the company focuses on African-American history in general, but the Juneteenth story is the heart of it. And also history here in Galveston in Texas, like I was telling you, Javon, there are some amazing Black people here currently and always have been who have done tremendous things to help our people, to help get our story told, to uplift, to educate. That was a big deal after the Civil War. There were African-Americans were hungry and thirsty for education everywhere, all over the South, especially. But, you know, the stories here in Galveston of where the first schools were started, who was teaching, how many people were educated, it's just phenomenal. And then into politics, we had politicians from Galveston who rose all the way up in the Republican Party at that time because Republicans were the party of Lincoln. And so they were in power after the Civil War. But there are tremendous stories about what happened after the Civil War. And then I can tell as a historian, I'm a historian. I am a certified social studies teacher, certified by the state of Texas. I also have a degree in history and government. And I'm from Washington, D.C. I've studied history all my life. But I can tell stories about African-Americans throughout our history in this country. And they're just some amazing stories. We often hear, well, we don't want to focus on Black history because it's so sad. And those people really suffered. And we don't want to keep talking about those things. But that's not the history that I studied. I study the history and I teach and talk about the history where it's the triumph of good over adversity, of people showing what average human beings can do. Black, white, Mexican, Native Americans, there's so many fantastic stories about the march to democracy that we're still on, 
But we've been going in that direction since the beginning of the country. So that's how I see history as the march towards democracy. And I tell stories that show the great things that people have done to get us there. Well, thank you so much for doing that. And what is your website? www.juneteenthandbeyond.com. Juneteenthandbeyond.com. Well, Dr. Sorrell, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing the history of Juneteenth. And again, that website is Juneteenth and Beyond. Dr. Sorrell, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. When I come back, I've got the culture report. Are you planning to travel? Looking for connections with airlines, resorts, hotels, cruise ships, new fashions, or places for family reunions and getaways? Join us October 7th and 8th, 2023 for the Port of Go International Destination and Travel Expo. It's taking place at the Renaissance Convention Center in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. The Port of Go is your all-things travel expo designed for everyone to discover where to go and the best deals. To learn more, visit portofgo.com. That's P-O-R-T of go.com. The world is a book, and those who do not travel read only a page. See the world with Advantage International. Advantage specializes in group travel and offers group trips to top destinations around the world. Join an existing group or have a travel specialist at Advantage design that special trip for your organization, family, school, or church. Go to Advantage-INTL.com for a current trip or call Advantage at one 877 This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com, and join in on the fun because you know we go to some fabulous places. While you're there, join the Travel Club and follow us on social media. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born of the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report, and I have the wonderful opportunity to speak to someone who has a very unique perspective on culture and sharing his culture with the world. I am honored to be on with Jeliba Baba, the storyteller and touring artist. Hello, Jeliba Baba, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hello, Devon, and thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. What a wonderful story you have and art that you have, because storytelling I think is going away and <laughs> aren't many people oh, yeah. still doing storytelling. So tell me about how you got started in the genre because you also combine it with music too. Yeah, actually my entry into this wasn't as an artist. I was an educator first. And I think the thing that's unique about me practicing sort of like this ancient storytelling craft out of West Africa is that I wasn't born into this craft. I wasn't born in Africa. I was born here in this country. But when I was growing up, I spent a lot of time with my great-grandfather. And my great-grandfather lived to be 110 years old. And culture was something that was very important to my great-grandfather. He used to talk about 
knowing yourself through your ancestors. And that was the kind of language he would use with me. And my great-grandfather's mother and father were both born into slavery. So I'm a descendant of those people who at one point in this country were enslaved. So growing up the 60s and the 70s, you know, our immersion into the educational system was quite different <laughs> than it is today. And much of my affirmations as a human being I got from home, not in school. So my desire was to be a historian. All the greatest men and women who I admired coming up, uh, whom I had read, were all historians in some way, shape, or form. So that's what I wanted to do. And I did what everybody says you're supposed to do. You know, you go to college, you marry, you do all the things you're supposed to do. But at one point, I was living in Compton here in Southern California, and we were having, I'm just going to be real, we were having major issues with violence and drug wars, things like that. And part of what I was doing along with a few other men in the community was we were taking young people aside and taking them through what we called rites of passage. And those were like taking them on hikes, getting them out of the city, taking them to the beach, museums, science centers. We were doing all these things. My job in the group was to teach history. And so I used music, song, real traditional ways to try to engage the youth in getting them excited about learning their history. So it, it kind of started there, and then there was the initiation in Africa and the music and all of those things. But in a nutshell, that's kind of how I got to be where I am. Well, it's wonderful, and I'm so happy to see and hear that there are people like you who are continuing the history of storytelling and further enhancing the history that we're getting or not getting in school. <laughs> we yeah. still have a long way to go. <laughs> oh, don't we, though? Don't we, though? <laughs> with the history that we're getting and not getting and making sure that what we're getting is the true history. So, right. you know, thank you for that, because my parents, too, made sure that we got certain history outside of what school was teaching us. And it proved to be so instrumental and really gave us a broader sense of ourselves and broader sense of the world, too. Now, the instrument that you use, I'm a bit familiar with. We used to do something called the Cora Awards. We didn't organize the Cora Awards, but someone that we were affiliated with did in South Africa. And that right. was just the you name of you. You were a part of that? Yes, we were. Wow, such a small world. I did not know that. Hey, you can't see me, but I'm bowing down to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> the Cora Awards were foundational in South Africa, and I won't go deep into it, but I admire what y'all did to put that together. That was an incredible thing. It really was, and we were honored to be a part of it. I can't take the credit for putting it together, but we did work in bringing Americans over to be a part of it and to attend it and bringing African-American artists over as well. As a matter of fact, we just reconnected with the organizer and he's trying to reorganize mm -hmm. it. So we're excited about that. But that brings me to your instrument, the Cora. Mm -hmm. So how did you get into playing the Cora? Well, like I said, my passion has always been history. And I grew up in the 60s, the 70s. And those who were around at that time, they might remember when, I think it was maybe about 75 or 76, when Roots came out. And this entire nation in the U.S. was huddled around the TV. And it was almost like everyone watched Roots or had read Alex Haley's book, Roots. And I was no different. I was a teenager. But when Alex Haley went back to West Africa, he went back to this country called the Gambia to the smallest land country in 
Africa. And he was greeted by an oral historian who told him the story of his ancestor, Kunta Kinte, who was taken away. And the story was related through a bit of narrative, but also singing, song, and the playing of the kora. That was one of the first times I had ever seen anyone play the kora. When I found out it was the oral historian's instrument, I gravitated toward it. I don't use it as a musician. I use it as a teaching tool. I use it in the way that it was meant to, to relay our history, to remind us of our valuable lessons. So I actually went to Africa, studied, and spent a lot of time learning the language that is a part of the core, which is Bamana, Mandinka, Malinke, those West African languages, and the stories and the songs associated with them. So in a way, I act as a bridge between my African-American ancestors who suffered in this land and my African ancestors who crossed the Middle Passage and survived to get us here. And I use the Quora as a tool to sort of like share that knowledge and that information. So it is storytelling in one sense, but it's so much more than the way we typically conceive storytelling. I see. And tell us a bit more about the instrument itself, what the Quora is. It's a real basic instrument. It's made of a gourd or calabas. That's the resonator. And then there is a neck on the instrument that spikes it. It goes through the gourd, comes out the other end. And it has a bridge and a couple of handles on it. And the strings are all attached to the neck. And on the core, there are 21 strings, 10 on the left, 11 on the right. And you play them by alternating your thumb and index finger on both hands. So it's a sonorous, it's a very resonating instrument. And when you play it, it sounds like there's more than one instrument being played. And it's a really unique instrument. By definition, it's a harp, by definition. Mm. But it's the only harp in the world where the neck spikes the resonator. This will probably make more sense to the musicians out there than anyone else. <laughs> but that's the basic structure of the instrument. And it was the instrument played for the royal families of the West African empires, Mali, Songhai, Ghana. And the songs that are sung on it are tribute songs to those who do heroic deeds in society. I have to sing your praises here because you're the recipient of California State Assembly Certificate of Recognition for your creative uses of storytelling and commitment to the community. Also earned additional commendations from both the U.S. Senate and the U.S. Congress for the work that you've done. And the city of Long Beach, California has recognized you as their municipality's Artist of the Year, an award presented to you by the mayor. And what I love most is that you tour internationally as a cultural educator, sharing your unique style with storytelling and the instrument, the Quora. Tell me about some of the places, because you came to us because you were performing at mm -hmm. the Aquarium of the Pacific right. as they were celebrating the Aquarium's Juneteenth event. Tell me more about your touring and the sites that you visit and the sites that you perform at. You know, I would love to take credit for the structure of what I do. But being a historian, actually what I've done is I've taken the template that has been laid out by our African-American ancestors going back decades, even to the Harlem Renaissance. There was a point in the 1920s where many African-Americans were leaving this country and they were going to places like France and different parts of Europe, Spain, even back to portions of Africa. And they were traveling and they were actually before that, even Frederick Douglass 
toured England talking about the conditions of African-Americans. So one of my heroes was Paul Robeson, and Paul Robeson toured the world, and he sung, he did theater. I mean, he was an incredible human being, but he used his art form to advance knowledge of what was happening with African-Americans here in this country. And I sort of like adopted that template to say that this is a part of our legacy that we shouldn't deny. So when I tour, I get invited. I've been done this for 35 years, so I've been invited all over the world. And I've been invited by governments. I've been invited by ministers of education, schools, NGOs. And I think the appreciation for someone who is steeped in a history, but can deliver it in a very traditional way is something that the rest of the world has been very accepting of. And I also deal in languages. So sometimes when I tour, I'm dealing with languages that I'm fluent in in other countries and able to impart what we call the Black experience here in the U.S. in a way where people otherwise would not have known about it because popular media, it doesn't usually have our voice. So I think that has been my blessing, my gift, my honor to be able to do. And fortunately, the world has been accepting of that. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your craft, your gift. And I know that you are currently on the West Coast, but we hope to see you touring the United States pretty soon in <laughs> other locations. Are you always touring or is there a foundation, a place where one can find you most often? I tour all over. And in fact, I'm in conversations with some people in Washington, Boston, along the East Coast mm. to do some things during the school year there. Yeah. So I am in conversation. So, you know, I might end up in your backyard. You, you never know. You never know. <laughs> and how do we follow you? <laughs> BobOfTheStoryteller.com. Also, I highly encourage people to subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is easy to find. If you go on YouTube and search Bob of the Storyteller, it's me. Whether it's Instagram or Twitter, it's Bob of the Storyteller. You'll find me and DM me. I feel like I'm part of this grand community of creatives and artists and progressive thinkers out there. And I always look for inspiration from others. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Elijah Vaughn. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information.